Many of you know I'm a true advocate for taking supplementation to optimize your health. And one of the best things that you can do is to choose the right collagen. It's a building block for your entire body. I was introduced to the Sparkle Wellness product, the Skin Boost Plus, about a year ago, and I've been taking it ever since. Having struggled with growing my hair out while I was prepping for the Mrs. America pageant, the Skin Boost Plus product could not have come at a better time. It's formulated with a special bioactive collagen known as Verisol. Verisol collagen is scientifically proven to reduce the fine lines underneath the eyes, around the mouth, and also grow stronger and healthier hair. It truly is feeding your beauty from the inside out. Skin Boost Plus not only contains the Verisol collagen, but it contains hyaluronic acid as well as vitamin C, which aids in skin health and boosts your immunity. This is super important these days. In addition, Skin Boost Plus Sparkle Wellness offers a collagen supplement formulated for joint health called Joint Boost and a collagen supplement formulated for promoting lean muscle mass called Muscle Boost. So we've got the Sparkle Collagen, the Muscle Boost, and the Joint Boost. And right now, you can get any of the Sparkle Wellness Collagen Supplements from Amazon or from their website, which is lovesparkle.life, and you can use my code. It's Dr. Fit. that's D-R-F-I-T, and that will get you 20% off their delicious range of collagen products for skin, joint, and muscles. Thank you to Sparkle for your amazing products and for sponsoring the Fit and Fabulous podcast. to the Fit and Fabulous podcast with Dr. Jamie Seaman. Hey, everybody, it's Dr. Jamie, and welcome back to the Fit and Fabulous podcast. It is so wonderful to have you here, and thank you for listening to all of our previous episodes. Every time you click and download and leave your reviews, you share this with all your family and friends, you're really helping us get these important messages out all over the world. So I'm so grateful for each and every one of you. Well, I have a wonderful guest today. I'm super excited to connect with her. Ashley Van Houten, you guys, she is a health coach, a speaker, a podcast host. She's the author of the one and only nose to tail organ meat centric cookbook that's even in existence. It's called It Takes Guts. She's got a new book out called Carnivore Ish, and she's the host of the Muscle Maven radio podcast. That's been downloaded more than 1.5 million times on her podcast. She interviews some of the leading minds in exercise and nutrition methodology and overall wellness. She's developed a range of coaching programs and workshops aimed at improving physical strength, overall wellness, and a deeper understanding of our bodies and optimal health, including muscle science for women and the jacked back pull up, pull up program. You can connect with her on Instagram. She's at the muscle maven or on her website, ashleyvanhouten.com. Ashley, welcome to the fit and fabulous podcast. Thank you so much. I'm super pumped to be here. And you have been a guest on my podcast, just so people know it's quality. I get quality guests. <laughs> You've been on there. There we go. I paid her to say that. <laughs> you guys, you'll have to go check out this new book called Carnivore Ish. It's got 125 protein rich recipes to boost your health and build muscle. So Ashley, obviously you're a huge advocate in the health and wellness space and in the, you know, nutrient dense animal food space, but tell us a little bit about your background and how you ever got into this, this interest and passion. Yeah, I mean, I would say probably like a lot of people in the fitness world, the nutrition part kind of came later, you know, like you're in your teens or early 20s and you just like love being fit and working out and the food thing isn't maybe as important when you're 22 as it is like later in life. So, you know, I I got into it just because I was always um, passionate about and interested in the human body and human performance and strength and what we're capable of. And, um, you know, I started kind of aligning the things I was doing in my personal time with work. Um, and so my background professionally was like marketing and communications, but I really like to write. And so I started kind of dabbling writing for health magazines and I ended up working for paleo magazine for a really long time when they were a thing. Um, and so as I kind of was getting older and learning more, I was realizing that nutrition, of course, is a huge component to health. Um, and I sort of entered that space through this ancestral health paleo 
approach, which I still believe is a really kind of common sense starting point for a lot of people, just like this, this whole foods, real food as unprocessed as possible. Like that just kind of makes sense. And that's where I started. And as I kind of continued to learn and I was um, hosting another podcast at the time where I got to interview all of these sort of like real OGs in that space, the Mark Sissons and the Rob Wolfs and people like that. Um, I just was kind of doing my own research and doing my own experimentation on what made me feel really good. And that sort of naturally led into, you know, I'm a meat eater. I always have been. It's always made me feel good. Um, but I'm learning, I'm trying to learn how to do that in a way that is, you know, sustainable and ethical and the most nutrient dense and sort of just making the best decisions I possibly can with the resources that I have. And that, again, just sort of naturally led me to nose to tail and trying to eat all parts of the animal. Um, and as I was kind of experimenting with this stuff, I was realizing that it really is a part of, of nutrition and health that is really not talked about and really not understood, even in the paleo, omnivore, carnivore worlds, like eating organ meats, for example, you might see a lot of it on social media because people like doing clickbait videos of people eating raw liver and stuff, but yeah. it's not, it's not mainstream. It's not understood. It's still seen as very extreme and weird. Um, and so I realized that there was a niche there for people who did not necessarily grow up eating nose to tail, who were not necessarily hunters or classically trained French chefs. Cause those seem to be the two audiences that don't have an issue with liver. <laughs> um, and you know, I was like sharing like this, the, the, um, experimentation that I was having with like buying hearts and liver and different cuts and trying to like enjoy them and cook them. And people were like, what are you doing? But also I'm kind of interested. And this is bringing us up to the pandemic where, you know, we were all stuck in our houses with nothing to do. And I was like, okay, maybe I should write a book. And, you know, since the pandemic started, I ended up writing both books and having a baby. So I've had a very busy couple of years, um, but it's been a really, really cool learning experience. And I think what makes these, both of these books really I hope accessible to people is the fact that like I'm learning about this stuff as I go. Um, I'm figuring it out. I'm not somebody who's already a professional or who thinks that they know everything. I'm like figuring it out as I go too. So, um, you know, if I can learn and do it and enjoy it, then I think other people can too. Yeah. Incredible. I'm trying to think, you know, when it comes to organ meats, I, uh, we didn't eat them as a, as a kid. Uh, mom never served liver and onions, although I had heard about it. Um, and until I got into the ketogenic diet and then really more carnivorous diet in our house, did I ever, you know, open my eyes to the world of organ meats and it, and it makes sense when you look at the nutrient densities of these, of these foods. So talk to us about organ meats, what do they provide to people and how can people start incorporating them in their life? Yeah. I mean, I could, I could go forever. So stop me. Cause as you know, I, um, <laughs> forever. it's a, it's a problem of mine. Um, I mean, basically, and I always start this by saying, like, I'm kind of speaking to the majority of people who already eat meat, like, you know, vegans or vegetarians, this is going to be a little bit of a hard sell. I do have people reaching out to me all the time that are saying they're trying to kind of start incorporating meat. And I have suggestions for, for everybody, but I mean, at the end of the day, the vast majority of us eat meat. We're relatively comfortable with that. We recognize that it is a very important part of our diet and good for our health. So if you are already coming from that standpoint, and you want to make responsible decisions and you want to eat the best quality and the most nutrient dense animal products that you can. Organ meats are the answer. They're part of it. You don't have to just eat organ meats, but essentially it's just that organ meats are the most nutrient dense parts of the animal. So all of the amazing things that we're getting from muscle meat, from our steaks and our ground beef or our chicken thighs or whatever, um, the amino acids and the vitamins and minerals, and in some cases, antioxidants, things like that, you're just getting them in, in really concentrated doses ounce per ounce in organ meats. So like everyone talks about liver is kind of like the king uh, organ. And I, I would say too that you don't have to eat liver if you don't want to. I mean, there are other organs there that are probably easier to get your palate around and are still very nutrient dense. Um, but things like, you know, heart, for example, is really high in CoQ10, which is a really um, beneficial antioxidant. B12 vitamins, um, vitamin A, you know, all of these things that just kind of keep our body running and functioning that we, I think, really take for granted. You know what I mean? Like a lot of these sort of 
micronutrients and vitamins and minerals that are absolutely essential to how we function, but we don't think about them at all until something goes wrong and we go get blood work and it's like you ha you are severely deficient in magnesium or you know B12 or whatever. Um, and the great thing about it is if you are somebody who is trying to, for whatever reason, maybe eat less meat, um, you know, the, the answer is also eating organ meats because you can get so much more bang for your buck with such a small amount. You know, people ask me a lot too, like, do I have to eat like liver every day to be healthy? And like, do I have to eat it raw and all this stuff? No, no, no. You can eat a couple ounces a month even really to get started and you are going to get you're really going to get the benefits because this food is bioavailable. Our bodies are primed to absorb it and use it. And because it's so nutrient dense, like you almost wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend you eat liver every day because it is so nutrient dense. You probably don't want to be um, doing that. Um, so again, there's, there's a huge range. There's so many ways that you can kind of prepare and enjoy these foods. Um, and I tell people like, maybe if you, if you just want to kind of approach it with this idea of sort of, open-mindedness and experimentation and like, what do you have to lose by trying these things, right? If you try some liver and you decide you don't like it, okay, you know, you're right back where you started. But if you if you actually find maybe, oh, I tried this recipe and like, this isn't so bad and I can incorporate this every once in a while. Now you have this whole new um, nutrient dense addition to your diet that could actually have a significant impact. Um, you know, when we grew up and our parents made us eat broccoli or steamed Brussels sprouts, ugh, I'm like shuddering, just remembering it. But, we didn't, if we grew up eating like the gross versions of these vegetables, we don't become adults then and say, Brussels sprouts are gross, vegetables are gross, I'm never gonna eat them. You think, how do I make these better? Let's get an air fryer, let's like season them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, it's the same with organ meats. It's like, you just sort of need to spend maybe a little bit more time. Like, yeah, steak is pretty easy to, to love, um, but these things are worth it. And if you put a little bit of time and effort and kind of just sort of have fun with it, um, in the kitchen, you might find that these things are actually a lot more fun and enjoyable than you've been led to believe. So what are some of the easier ways to start to incorporate it? You know, maybe like hiding it in food. Like I'm, mm -hmm. I'd like to pretend I'm saying I'm doing this for my kids benefit, but you know, even me <laughs> yeah. as an adult, like I have, I usually like swallow the liver whole because yeah. I don't, yeah, it's not super palatable to me. So I'm sure there's other people out there listening that have these same thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I have no problem with people hiding it. Um, I think that that makes a lot of sense for a lot of people. I mean, the the big recommendations I have for people who are um, trying to incorporate it on like sort of a, a subtle level is just like you said, so you hide it by um, maybe mixing some ground uh, liver, kidney, heart, whatever into your ground beef. And a lot of butchers will do this for you already. A lot of, um, nationwide sort of like online meat companies have these sort of pre-ground mixes already. Force of nature is one us wellness meats. Like a lot of places now will do this. Um, and they do it usually in a ratio of like sort of a four to one ground beef organ, um, mix so that the texture is virtually indistinguishable. The taste is really, really similar. Um, and if you're, you know, seasoning your foods, you're making meatball, meatballs, burgers, sausages, whatever, you're really not going to taste much of a difference, but you are getting a nutrient boost. So that's a good way to do it. Um, another way to do it is like starting with like a pate, um, like a chicken liver mousse or something like that, because those are really like palatable. Like at the end of the day, I have a good recipe in my book. It's like cream and butter and like spices, like it's delicious, you know, <laughs> but you're getting a lot of, you're getting liver. It's very nutrient dense. I also recommend that people, if you're kind of like dipping your toes in, go to a restaurant and have a professional make it for you so that you know what it's, what it can taste like, that you know it actually can be good. If you keep your eyes open, a lot of restaurants have organ meats on the menu. You can get mm -hmm. bone marrow. You can go to a French restaurant and get um, foie gras or sweetbreads. You can get tongue tacos, um, you know, all kinds of different soups and stews that have like tripe and stuff in it that maybe you're like, I'm not ready to do this at home. But when you have somebody who knows what they're doing, make it for you like, wow, this is actually like really delicious. Um, and just another practical point that I would tell people um, if they're willing to kind of experiment and go out and buy some things and try it at home is to start with smaller animals. Because again, we hear a lot like beef liver. It's beef liver. Just eat it raw. It's good for you. Down the hatch. Beef liver is a very strong flavor. Chicken liver is much more mild. Um, smaller animals, their meat is going to have a milder flavor. Even like lamb 
lamb liver, lamb heart, lamb tongue, um, turkey, you know, duck, whatever. So maybe don't go like straight for the buffalo heart or whatever. Like start with the smaller animals and kind of work your way up. They're easier to handle. They're easier to, to eat. So um, those are a couple of recommendations right off the bat. Fascinating. Yeah. I've, uh, I know a lot of people have done the beef organ blends and uh, we're actually going to ask our butcher to do that this year. We have another, our family eats basically two half beefs per year. So we just buy half the cow. And um, we, we've asked for the organs and I've played around with the liver and the heart and, and things like that, but we're going to, we're going to mix it in there this year, just so that we're, we're getting it on a more regular basis. Nice. Okay. So um, let's talk about, um, let's talk about training. I did a bodybuilding competition this year, and I know that's something you've done in the past. Yeah. Talk about, talk about your experience. I'm so interested to, to hear about it. I certainly, you know, have my own opinions, but mm-hmm. I know you're a huge advocate advocate just across the board for women in resistance training. Yes. Well, first of all, again, congratulations. I was fascinated watching your experience. I just think it's, it's super cool. I mean, I, I feel like I have maybe some like controversial opinions about bodybuilding just because I see a lot of people really love it until they don't and then it's like it's very polarizing like people are all like I'm a bodybuilder like living that bodybuilder life or they're like this is the worst thing ever and everyone who does it has like mental problems <laughs> you know what I mean like people don't, yeah people don't feel it's like staying in an abusive relationship and then finally you're like okay yes my partner's yeah. an abuser <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I'm the idiot that stayed in the relationship too long I guess but I also feel like you're like the abusive person in that relationship is probably like you at you. a certain point because <laughs> anyway so i mean i i did it um i dabbled in the bodybuilding as well for a few years and i s- still have generally for myself personally p- very positive feelings about it but i think that i had a unique experience and so I am very, I feel like clear and forthright about what I think is a healthy way to do this and what isn't. And I did have a blog back in the day and it's not around anymore. And I kind of wish it was because I really was like, I I wasn't trying to become a pro with this. So I was like, I'm going to really say what's going on. Cause like, I don't care. Like, I don't care if people don't like what I'm saying, but anyway, I think that the, the experiment of, um, working really hard and being very, very strict and regimented for a a finite amount of time can be really, really interesting and eye-opening for some people, right? Like you can really learn about your body in a way that is, is fascinating and can be very helpful. And when I did it, it, it was that way because I had always been leading up to that point, you know, just working out and eating, trying to eat healthy. And, you know, it was this classic thing. I'm sure you got it a, a lot too that because I like to work out and I had some muscle, people were like, you should do a bodybuilding competition. Like you should try it. And I was like, I can't eat like that. Like, I'm not trying to be that strict for that long. Like that doesn't seem like something I could do. And I eventually was just like, well, I'm kind of just, I don't know. I'm like trying to, I want to do something interesting. I want to like challenge myself. So I'll try it. Um, and I think honestly, you tell me if you feel this way, but I think that the fact that I got into it like quite later in life helped me. Like I was, I don't know, 29 maybe when I did my first competition. And I think because of that, I, I did have a better idea of my body. I maybe had a little bit more, this is generalizing. I don't want to like yeah, offend anybody, but I, I feel like I was a little bit more maybe confident and like sure of myself than I would have been if I had done it when I was 20 or something. Like I just, you know, I really was going into it for my own personal learning experience rather than I need to be skinny or have a six pack, um, which was still having a six pack, which was a part of it, you know, and it was very exciting and interesting for me. Um, but I also learned that like having a six pack doesn't do anything. It doesn't change your life in any way. You know, like you, yeah. you get the six pack and you're like super proud of yourself. Cause it was really now hard what? work. <laughs> exactly. And then you take a picture and everyone's like, Whoa, look at you. And then like you move on with your life. And I think that was actually like a good experience for me too, because you can know that, but then when it actually happens, you're like, Oh, this does not change who I am. It doesn't change my value. It's literally just a, a phase of my life. Um, but I really, I really made sure when I did it that I, I, spent the time and I found a coach who was somebody that I felt our values aligned. Um, she looked, she was a, a, a pro and she looked away that I thought was healthy. Um, she, you know, we weren't dabbling with any extra curriculars, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't willing to 
I wasn't willing to, um, to risk my long-term health. Now I will still say that like getting to a, a unrealistic body fat level is potentially unhealthy, right? Like if you are staying there for too long or if you're, you know, um, I don't know, it, it can, it can mess with your, I guess it can mess with you physically and mentally, but I did everything I could to do it in as gradual, as gradual and as safe a way as possible and come out of it in as gradual and safe a way as possible. I also focused on that. What comes after the competition part? Cause that's a huge part that's missing for people. Yeah. You work so hard for this one, two seconds that you're on stage and you're like, now what do I do? Um, but I guess, I don't know, I could rant for a while, but I think it was fun. I enjoyed it. I did quite well. And then at a certain point I was like, I'm going to do this as long as I'm learning something. And then when I feel like this is like, I'm just doing this again, just to do it, I'm going to stop. And so that's what I did. And I got a lot from it. I think I actually probably permanently changed my body structure from a few years of like really intense bodybuilding style um, exercise, which is cool. Cause I love having delts and stuff. That's great. Um, but I do, you know, I think it, it can certainly, um, uh, attract, a, a very dysfunctional sort of attitude if you let it. Um, but it's, it's not necessarily inherently a bad thing. Like you could say that about any sport. You could say that about endurance running. You could say that about CrossFit. Like if you, you know, if you want to do it in an unhealthy way, you, you can. Um, so I don't know. I think you just kind of really need to know yourself and know what your your boundaries are um, before you get into something as extreme as bodybuilding. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think my I had a very um, poor opinion about the sport prior to competing. Uh, most of it just coming from being a healthcare provider, taking care of women that have competed before, and just seeing the you know, uh, body dysmorphia, eating disorders, steroid use, um, impacts on fertility, thyroid hormones. You know, I just like, there was, there was never a patient that sat in my office that was like this glowing review of bodybuilding. Like this is the greatest sport ever. <laughs> um, and so, uh, then during the pandemic, my husband, you know, decided that he wanted to do it. And we, were you eating like a traditional bodybuilder type diet? I mean, it was pretty, it was, yeah, I would, yeah. I would say so. I mean, again, I would say that compared to what I was seeing, I, I did it in a very moderate way and like I moderate for bodybuilding. Um, and you know, one of the things I was saying that my coach said too, is like, get as lean as you need to, but like no leaner. And I really feel like that's one of the issues, especially in women's bodybuilding. And I'm talking about amateur and I'm talking about even like bikini figure. Like we're not talking about bodybuilders, right? We're talking about the rest of us who are doing the other categories. People think, and this, this, this relates to every kind of working out and lifestyle factor. People always think more is better, right? Mm -hmm. And in almost every case, more is worse. Like working out more and more and more is worse and restricting your food more and more and more is worse. Um, so I always have this attitude of like, how lean do I need to get to be like technically appropriate for this category? And I'm getting 0% leaner than that. So if like pictures of me when I was competing, I was probably like just barely kind of the, I was the least lean person up there, but I looked like I sort of belonged there. But there were people, again, amateur first figure competitions that are like striated everywhere all over their body and mm -hmm. veins bulging out. And it's like, and they didn't, they didn't even win as a result of it. It was just again, like this body dysmorphia of like, I have to be the leanest. I have to work the hardest. I have to suffer the most. And I just never had that, that attitude. And that's why I think, again, I, you know, I didn't lose my cycle and I didn't, you know, I'm not saying that I am the glowing example of it, but I did come out of it, you know, with my health and my mental health intact. And I think it's because I maybe have this sort of somewhat lazy attitude towards it of like, I'm going to do exactly what I need to do and zero percent more than that you know yeah yeah uh yeah i did a ketogenic approach which is completely different than you know traditional bodybuilding world and the reason that i even attempted it is because when my husband went through it i said that's fine you can go through it but i'm going to check labs on you mm. you know we're going to look at your thyroid your testosterone we're going to check your lipids and you know kind of this little end of one experiment and his labs looked amazing and honestly he made it look so easy like he never complained. He never, dude. I know. Oh my gosh. I mean, I was like, okay, um, maybe, maybe. And then 
I thought, okay, I'm just going to try, I'm going to try to experience it instead of, you know, just coming at it from a judgment aspect, I'm going to live it, breathe it, do it. And I'm going to check my own labs and see what happens with my body, because maybe there is a better, you know, approach to this. Like maybe I can be an advocate for some of these women that maybe, you know, a low carb and maintaining fat in the diet is, is maybe more advantageous. So, so I did it and I loved what I did love about it is I don't think that there are a lot of opportunities in our day-to-day life to, uh, really, really this idea of delayed gratification, you know, with like the advent of social media, it's this like finished product society and everybody shows their one picture of the day that they were the meanest, leanest, most shredded. And everybody wants to be that. And that's what we're all chasing. And, uh, I don't think people, first of all, understand the level of sacrifice it takes to get there, but just this, just, just in general, this idea of delayed gratification, are you willing to put in six months of work for, you know, one day? And I think you could apply it to anything. I think you could apply it to furthering your education, to, uh, building money up in your bank account, to it's, we just, nobody's willing to actually enjoy the journey and the process and the work. So that was the one thing I actually did like about it was it just gave me this crazy sense of purpose for many months. I was, uh, I was so focused and and dialed in on, on just the process and doing the, the, the day-to-day work. But honestly, I feel like it made my life less stressful because I think on a day-to-day basis, I have so many decisions to make, right? I'm like a doctor and a mom and I've got this and I've got this and I'm trying to figure out which direction I'm going to be, you know, focusing on or pulled in uh, on that given day. When I was in prep, it was like my diet was already, you know, figured out. I had meal prepped on Sunday, just grabbed it out of the fridge. My workouts were already planned. You're going to, you know, do resistance training here and 20 minutes cardio here. I, just automatically was, you know, prioritizing sleep, prioritizing less stress in my life. And, and it actually opened up kind of my mind, body, and soul to like these other areas. I started working on my book. I started doing this and, uh, because I didn't have to expend all that energy beating myself up on a day-to-day basis about what I was going to eat and how I was going to train. And am I doing good enough? It was just like execute, 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 execute each day. Mm -hmm. And it was less stressful to be honest. Um, and then you're right coming off the back end of the show, kind of like transitioning back into the quote unquote, like real life, real world, um, is a scary place for a lot of competitors. And it's usually where most people kind of mess it up because you, uh, you love how your body looks, but you're trying to figure out where to get back to a sustainable place. And most people just rebound the other way and come out on the other side with, you know, body dysmorphia issues and eating disorders and, and then they end up turning to, you know, other substances. So I competed, I don't know what uh, federation you competed in Ash, but I competed in a federation where people can use, and it was very obvious um, yes. that there was steroid use amongst both men and women. Yeah. And um, it, it's hard that day, you know, to say like, oh, I'm just competing against myself, you know, when you're looking at people that have clearly been using other substances. And so um, I don't know what your experience was like, you know, in that world. Listen, I will say this is the one area where it's like, I I talk about like, you know, yeah, you compete against yourself and don't judge other people and all this stuff. But I feel like this is one area where like, you can be a little bit smug, okay? You can be like, well, I'm doing this without all the gear and all of the like, uh, I don't know, thermogenics and fat burners and um, straight up steroids because it was the exact same thing. Like I actually did compete in a natural, a natural, natural federation, federation. Yeah. they don't test. Like literally the rules mm-hmm. were basically like, if you want to challenge somebody, so I'd have to like go to the people, the organizers and be like, hey, I think this person's like juiced up. And they'd like, you know what I mean? Like no one's doing that. Like no one's testing. So yeah, it was obviously extremely apparent. I was also always very proud of myself that like no one ever accused me of being on steroids because it was very obvious that I wasn't, you know, I'm like, there's not a vein to be seen on my body. Like on Instagram, they will though. (laughs) Well, it's funny a little bit, maybe, but I, I did actually get a couple, but the fact that I didn't get a lot, it was like, you can tell that I am not on steroids, but yeah, I mean, it was, I have some questions for you though. Would you do it again? Yeah. I'm still kind of in the 50, 50 world. Like I, um, enjoyed the experience. Um, 
there was some stress in my body. Like I started at the end, I started to lose my hair. <laughs> like my hair started to kind of, I mean, just the low calories, but my labs looked great. Like my estrogen maintained, my thyroid looked good. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I think I would, I think I would. Um, I, yeah. I like to say I'm 50, 50. I mean, I think I, my husband wants to do it again and, uh, I fully support his, his endeavors. Cause I don't know. I feel like he made it look easier than I did, but I, mean, I think that's just, other, it's like the unfair reality that no one wants to hear is that men can do this more easily and more safely. And yeah. men can also supplement with all of this steroid stuff or whatever, like stuff much more easily and safely than women can. I'm not saying they all do. And a lot of it is actually very unhealthy for men. And especially, you know, they abuse it and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, women are not meant to be doing this kind of steroid no, we're, we're creatures of reproduction. And thank God that I'm, I mean, I'm knocking on 40s door and I'm, and I, you know, I'm at a point in my life where you know, I've had my kids I've breastfed my babies and, and, and done all the things. And so, you know, I felt like it was a good time in my life, you know, to attempt something like this, but, um, we're not the same as men. And, and, uh, because we're reproductive creatures, there's, uh, I think there's bigger consequences to be honest in the sport. So. And another kind of unpopular opinion that I've always had, because again, I was doing this at an amateur level. I didn't, I, I made it to just like, if you compete again, you could go be a pro or whatever. And I was like, everybody here is on so much juice. I, I don't want to do this to myself. Um, but you know, I, I did well and I competed just enough, but I, I tell people, I'm like, the other difference is like, for those of us who are doing this for fun and for self-experimentation, why would you risk your health and happiness and like long-term wellness to look good for one day, it's so ridiculous. Like there are pro professional bodybuilders who are making hundreds of thousands of dollars and they are taking calculated risks with their health. Mm -hmm. Just like a lot of very high level elite athletes. I'm not saying it's necessarily great, but like we look at these professional athletes and we think they're perfect and beautiful and rich and they look amazing. And a lot of those people are very unhealthy because they have to live in a way that is not actually good for their bodies physically but for the rest of us like we're paying to enter these competitions we're paying big bucks for trainers oh, super and expensive crazy expensive. Super expensive and it's like and it goes back to what you were saying about like you, you know enjoying the process and i've talked about this on different podcasts with our mutual friend rachel gregory as well who i do this this um strength training program with that like you're choosing to do this. So if you are knowingly putting yourself in harm's way, or at the very least, if you're just bitching and complaining and hating the whole process, again, you probably shouldn't be doing it. Like, I'm not saying it's not difficult and there weren't days that I'd wake up and be like, cool, like chicken and working out again for two hours. Like, this is fun, but like, you should probably try to enjoy the process or enjoy the, you know, enjoy even the hardship of it. Because if you're miserable the whole time, like, it's kind of foolish. Like you're doing this to yourself and for no reason. So, um, but I also just want to go back to one thing that you said that I thought was really important, which was that even in the midst of this incredibly like restrictive and sort of extreme project you were doing, like in ways it was kind of easy and low stress for you. And I think it's mm -hmm. really important. And I, I talk about this in my kind of health coaching practice that like people think that that is very difficult and in some ways like you have to be dedicated it can be tough but it's it's very easy for people to follow incredibly strict rules it's much harder for us to determine what that sustainable happy medium is that will allow us to be healthy look good, whatever that means to us, and still enjoy our lives. That's the hard part. And people have a hard time with it because they either want to look like a bodybuilder and still enjoy their life, or they don't know what moderation is. And they're doing this like cycling of being like super strict and eating like they're going to die tomorrow. And, you know, it's very, very hard to just find what works for you and, and lets you be happy and healthy at the same time. And I think that uh, people don't really internalize that enough. You know, like if I, as a health coach, if I told you, here's exactly what you have to do to work out every day, only eat this and never eat anything else. That's why people can kind of do carnivore. That's why people can do really strict keto because the rules are clear. But for the rest of us who are like, I just want to, you know, eat some treats every now and then. And I want to like not have to work out six days a week and, but I still want to be fit that's really difficult. And I want people to like know that and be okay with it and like kind of give themselves a break because it's an ongoing process. We're all 
still working on it. And as you said, kind of we change, like I had a baby 10 months ago and so the last couple of years with the pandemic and my gyms being shut down, that was a massive blow for me. And then having to navigate my body and my health during pregnancy and postpartum, like these are massive learning experiences for me and things have changed. My attitude, my workouts, my eating have all changed. And instead of saying, oh, I'm giving up or I'm settling or I'm, I'm not the same as I used to be, I'm just sort of accepting that there are seasons and that we need to continue to evolve and learn forever. There's no end point. There's no like, this is what I'm going to do now for the rest of my life to be healthy. It's always changing. And so if we can accept that and like it and enjoy the process, that just makes it more fun and it kind of makes it easier to do, you know? Yeah. So somebody come, I mean, I, I put up a post recently, just, you know, kind of highlighting that because I mean, I have, I've been in this space for five, six years and, um, never in my entire life have I gotten so many direct messages. Oh my God, tell me what you're doing. Tell me exactly what you're eating. Tell me exactly what your macros are. Tell me exactly what your calories are. I've never seen people become so obsessed with what I was, with what I was doing. And to be honest, I'm really not doing anything that I was different than I was doing the last five, six years. I was just doing it to a level of titration where I was literally weighing my food. I mean, to a level that is just not sustainable on a daily basis. But, um, somebody asked, you know, in a comment, and I'm interested to hear your answer. How do us normal people get lean and toned? Like, maybe I don't want to be to the level you are in your picture, but like, and I know what this woman was saying, but like, what's your response to these people? Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I think a lot of people in the bodybuilding world, and I said this too, when I was doing mine, that like, I liked myself best, like six to eight weeks before competition, which is exactly, I think what people are talking about. Like pe- most people don't want to look like you look on. I want to go halfway there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but halfway there is actually more than halfway's worth of work. Like, so basically what I tell people a lot and it's, it's so, it can be very frustrating. I think on both sides, like with the coaching and stuff that I do, it's just, it takes so long. It takes so much longer than you want it to. If you do it in a sustainable, reasonable way, because again, going back to what I said before, anybody can be given, um, rules for the next three months and you have to do it or else, and you will get, you will lose this much body fat. You will look like this, whatever. But to say like, you just want to live and look a little bit better and be a little bit more toned to be a little bit more fit. Like what it takes is making the right decision most of the time every day for the rest of your life. So it means always prioritizing movement, not crushing workouts every day. It just means try to just move your body a lot. Try to not be staying still all the time, you know, try to eat nutrient dense foods most of the time, not low calorie, not less food. Just make sure that what you're eating is actually nourishing your body. Cause that's the other big thing that I think so many women have a hard time with. We're so ingrained to think eat less, eat less. And we're even saying this with the bodybuilding thing. That's a big part of it is to gradually eat less and less. And then you yeah. look this way, but I know so many women who eat very little and they are obviously not happy with their body composition and they're holding on to fat and they're not building muscle and that's exactly why because they're afraid to eat foods that feel satiating and filling like the protein conversation that i'm always having with people and you know rachel and i talk about this ad nauseum in our course and we do like you know co-podcasts all the time co-hosted podcasts that this toned concept people think is like, if I just keep losing fat, keep losing fat. And you know, our other mutual friend, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon talks about this. It's not, we need to switch the priority from we all have too much fat to we don't have enough muscle. Yeah. And again, that doesn't mean that we need, you need to, listeners need to look like you or I, or they need to look like bodybuilders. They need to look like American gladiators. It means we need to focus on trying to be strong and getting that muscle that's gonna make you look better. It's gonna make the fat, um, you know, it's going to help you burn fat. Um, but we focus on the wrong things. We focus on restriction and suffering and trying to get smaller instead of actually fueling our bodies for the work it needs to do to build the muscle that looks good and keeps us healthy and makes us look toned. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And there always seems to be like this five or 10 pounds that, you know, when patients come into my clinic, there's always just this, I just just want to lose like five pounds. I just want to lose like 10 pounds. Right. It's never like, and, and I tell people, you know, there is a body fat percentage that is healthy mm-hmm. and 
nobody was DMing, blowing up my DMs when I was 22% body fat. That's a damn good body fat on DEXA, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, you know? And, you know, you might be really healthy, even though there's five or 10 pounds that you aesthetically want to be gone. And it can be, you can lose that, but I'm telling you right now, you won't be drinking wine. You're going to have to measure your food. Like what, what are the the sacrifices that you really want to make for that five pounds? You know, um, and that's just kind of the, the, the reality check sometimes that we have to, that we have to acknowledge. So yeah, okay. it's tough. It's tough for us to acknowledge it when we have this online world where we see people who seem to be doing everything that's fun and that we would want to do, but they also look like they have a six pack because a lot of what is online isn't the full story and isn't accurate. And so we're led to believe that we can have it all. And if we don't have it all, we're failing. Um, but the reality is there are always sacrifices that have to be made for different things. If you if you prioritize hanging out with your friends and drinking wine, you may sacrifice that five or 10 pounds that you don't want to have. If you want to have a six pack, you may have to sacrifice that social time. Like that is the reality for most people. Um, but we try to pretend that it's not. And I will say I did not avoid any social events and I went on vacation multiple times during my prep. Um, and it can be done. You know, I, I flew with my food. Sometimes I had like frozen meals from icon meals that I knew I could hit my macros. Um, I went to social events and I had no shame in drinking water with a couple limes or like a soda water with a couple limes. I mean, your real true friends and family. I mean, they knew what I was doing. They were there to support me. Um, I did not avoid social events. And so, you know, even if you are trying to start a healthier lifestyle or whatever it is, like, don't be ashamed of that. Like, like let the people in your life know so that they can support you. Um, so I don't want that message to be like, you're going to have to give up your social life if you want to lose five or 10 pounds, but it will take a level of, of commitment in your brain and execution you know, to say, I'm not doing anything that doesn't serve me today. Um, and excuses show up in our life. They're subtle, they're seductive and they're believable. And, and, you know, it's just, it's really pervasive, but there's so many things that are keeping you from being everything that you want to be. And you just got to decide what you want and, and do it and go for it. And, um, Okay. So I want to segue. So you just had a baby. Congratulations. Thank you. Tell us about how you ate and trained during your pregnancy. Yeah. So, I mean, what a trip, like you've done it a few times, so you know, but whoa, I didn't do it the right way. (laughs) (laughs) You learned some things after the fact, huh? Yeah. Everybody has Um, to be a bad example at one time in their life. There you go. I love it. Um, I mean, I guess that's, again, one of the advantages of doing it like old, like, you know, mid thirties, geriatric pregnancy, which I will say for the benefit of the the team that I worked with is nobody gave me a hard time for being old um, because I think that's starting to change a little bit. I mean, you can tell me, but like, it's sort of like, you know, 35 used to be like, oh, you're you're old now and we have to do all these like crazy things and be super careful. And now it's a, I think there's a little bit more nuance about like, are you healthy? Is there any other indication that this is like a high risk pregnancy, you know, whatever. Yeah. I have some really healthy 35 to 40 year old pregnant patients and I've got some really unhealthy 25 year old pregnant patients. I mean, I think that, but we just know from a statistical standpoint, um, genetic risk, you know, with, with the eggs splitting and and things like that, that there are some increased risk after age 35. And then statistically people get less healthy as they age, but not you. (laughs) Not me in this case anyway, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, it was, it was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. I really aimed to, um, my goal, you know, everyone talks about like your birth plans being like, get ready to blow that up. But, my goal was to give birth in a birth center, um, and it's different in Canada than in the States. Um, you know, there's basically, people kind of think of like, you either are like hippy dippy, give birth at home, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I know lots of people who do it, home birth or hospital birth. I was kind of hoping for like a happy medium um, where I felt like I was in a, um, a more maybe professional setting, but one that was a little bit closer to the comforts of home. And like, I I was fortunate that I have like a birth center, like 10 minutes away from where I live with these big hot tubs. I really wanted to have a water birth. I wanted to have an unmedicated birth. I had all of these plans. I also had plans to be doing pull-ups at nine months pregnant and that didn't happen. 
at all. Um, so, I, you know, the working out part was was tricky for me because I was pretty fortunate that I felt generally pretty good during my pregnancy. I didn't have a lot of the like nausea in the first trimester and things like that. I was just, you know, tired and kind of miserable like I think everybody is. But I was also coming off a year of pandemic gym closures. Um, I had really, we were really restrictive where I live in Canada. And so I was a little bit pissed that I was like going into this, not feeling my best and my fittest. Um, and I really had to like reframe, um, again, this sort of like more isn't more like strength train, be smart, do what feels good, move your body. And I really had to, to take that to heart and do it because I had no other choice. Like I have a home gym, but like, I'm not doing the kind of workouts that I normally would do. Um, and so I really focused on moving. And then I also had a, for the first time in my life, I really prioritized like some, some breathing and like awareness of my body meditation kind of stuff that like, as you can probably tell from me talking, I'm not the most like laid back chill person in the world. I'm like pretty high energy. So like that was kind of uh, a challenge for me, but I really, I, similar to when I was doing bodybuilding and some other like physical, um, athletic projects that I had, I was like focusing on this end goal and like how I wanted it to look and how I wanted to feel and how I wanted to be. And so I spent a lot of time sort of visualizing and thinking about it. Um, as far as eating, I ate exactly what I always eat. Um, a lot of people gave me a hard time. They were like, Oh, you're going to have all these meat, um, aversions. You're not gonna be able to eat any meat. And you know, I was eating everything. I was eating all the organ meats. I was eating all the game meat. I definitely ate more carbs for sure. And I was continuing to do that postpartum breastfeeding and everything. Um, but I didn't give myself a hard time. I very much listened to my body. And when it told me what it wanted, I ate it, which is still very nutrient dense, whole foods and just kind of whatever I felt like. Um, and so it was fine. I, I, you know, I had some challenges along the way and I was pregnant in July and August and it was very hot. And so by the end of it, I understand that, that whole thing about you get so pregnant that you're actually welcoming the labor. Cause I was like, Oh my God, like, please just any day get this the last month every moment of my day was just like, when's this going to be over? When am I going to, when is this going to happen? Anyway. Um, but yeah, I was really fortunate. I had a big, he was 22 inches, eight pounds, 10 ounces. I did have my natural birth center birth, did not give birth in the hot tub. That didn't end up happening. He was stuck in there for a while. I had to work very hard because he's a big baby. Um, but I have only sort of positive feelings about it. It was incredibly difficult and I have so much respect for every single person who goes through this. It's just wild. Um, yeah. You know, obviously better than anybody. Um, and then, you know, postpartum, I just focused, I focused a lot on healing. I did a whole podcast cause I don't want to talk forever, but I did a, my own personal kind of solo podcast, really detailing everything that I did yeah. if people are interested. Um, but I think like some of the biggest advice I give people is like, you know, I was going on all these social media accounts and people are like four weeks postpartum, I'm feeling good. How do I get back to my like running routine? And I'm just like, I'm not, this is not, I'm going slow and steady again. Like I did with the bodybuilding. I'm like, I am not in a rush to have a flat stomach in two months. I just want to be healthy and take care of myself. And I saw so many people who would rush into it only to actually delay their healing further because you know, it's like mm -hmm. you try to train through an injury kind of thing. Um, so I was super chill for the first couple months. I just sort of walked and then I slowly, very slowly got back into the gym and was kind of doing like light bodybuilding stuff, a lot of core work. I worked with a pelvic health, um, PT person. So oh yeah. I like, love that. I wish more, right? I wish more women utilized pelvic floor physical therapy. If you were listening, you don't know what that is. Ask your doctor for a referral. A lot of times insurance will cover it. And you can start it during pregnancy and then yes. pick it back up postpartum. I just think I wish it was part of just routine care. It absolutely should be. The amount of people who still don't know this and the amount of people that are still told if you leak or pee when you work out or you feel like you can't sneeze without crossing your legs, like that's the price you pay to having a kid. I hate that. I hate it so much. I did some interviews, some podcast interviews with pelvic floor therapists on purpose to talk about this stuff because again, I think it really, it really is, um, an interesting look at how we consider women's health issues that were like, so much of the narrative is just like, this is the price you pay for having a kid. And I think about things like, you know, if you were a tennis player and you had like a tennis elbow, no one would say that's the price you pay for playing tennis, you go to a physical therapist and you heal and you work on it and you do PT and you fix it. But people don't say that to women. They say, well, 
that's what it is. Just, you know, try your best. Well, and women say that too. You know, exactly. they're like, yeah, exactly. when I laugh, cough, sneeze, I leak urine, but you know, I had, four, I had four kids and I'm 40 and that's just how life is. And it sucks. It sucks. It's like you, you, you did a lot to bring this kid into the world and this should not be, you know, you, there are things you can do. So yeah, I, I saw a, a PT leading into like going into the pregnancy um, and I stopped doing anything like the whole diastasis and like the coning and weird stuff that would happen with your stomach when you're doing like workouts. Like it was such an interesting, uh, humbling thing postpartum to come back to the things that I was always really good at. So stuff like pull-ups, I, I created a whole program to help women get pull-ups and like push-ups, things that use so much core that you don't think about it. And I was like trying to do push-ups, like, I don't know, a few months postpartum. And I was like, these are so hard because it's not just your arms, it's all yeah. core strength. But I just, I kept going back to like, this is a process, this is gonna take some time. And I think, you know, people say the, you know, it takes nine, 10 months to have a baby. It's probably gonna take that long before you start to feel like yourself again. Short, quicker for some people, longer for some people. But like, that does make sense to me because I'm like 10 months postpartum now. And, you know, I've been feeling good and working out for a while, but like, I really do feel like every day I'm still feeling more like, all right, this is, I feel more like myself again a little bit. Um, and I'm feeling strong and I'm starting to like work out in ways that are more for me than for healing. Like it's just starting to kind of gradually move that way, I think. Um, yeah, you're but, right at that mark. I say 40 weeks in, 40 weeks out. <laughs> that's it. I'm just, I'm, and it's good. It's like right around summertime. So I'm feeling good. I'm like, I feel more like, a, like me again. Yeah. Um, but I was okay with not feeling hundred percent like me. Like there were days of course, where I'm like, how am I ever going to be me again after that? Like I look at pictures of myself 10 months pregnant and I'm just like, what, how do human bodies do this? It's fascinating. Um, but I really tried to like practice what I preach and say like, instead of thinking about all of the ways that this is gonna ruin me or I'm never gonna be the same, I think about how incredible our bodies are, what we're capable of, how I can support myself in being as healthy and safe as possible during this time and then see what I can do afterwards. And like, I feel, I feel nothing but excitement about it and happy. And I'm of course stronger in so many ways. And it's just been, it's just been incredible. How are you, uh, your baby is obviously starting to eat, you know, real foods. How did you start to incorporate, you know, a lot of the, the things you incorporate in your, your own life into your baby's life? Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I did actually get like a, a lot of interesting comments from people who on social media who are asking me like in my pregnancy, what I ate and, you know, and again, I'm not saying this is advice. I'm just saying what I did, you know, like I ate sushi and I ate some runny eggs, like not all day, every day, but like I ate liver and people were saying like, do you need to be worried about vitamin A toxicity and all those things? I think, and I mean, again, you're the professional, so you can be like, everything she's saying is, is crap. But I think that, you know, a lot of some of these like maybe outdated rules are based on food safety stuff that isn't necessarily the same today as it was 20 years ago. I mean, if we're worried about things like salmonella and stuff that can affect a growing baby for sure, you've got to kind of like weigh your risks. But I just, I do think it's fascinating that everyone kind of thinks fondly on the woman with the ice cream and Cheetos cravings and like eat those during your pregnancy, you'll be fine. But if I eat a little bit of like liver mousse or sushi, everyone's like, how could you? And it's so dangerous. I mean, it's like, we just got to kind of like step back a little bit and like, look, I mean, do you think that women in Japan are not eating sushi during their pregnancy because someone somewhere said that they could get sick? So anyway, I ate what I thought was healthy and nutrient dense my whole life, I continued for the most part to eat that during pregnancy. And I kind of apply that to my son as well, where, you know, obviously there are some things that aren't appropriate and for um, uh, allergy purposes and stuff, you got to kind of feel some things out in the first year, but I, I feed him liver in small amounts. I feed him lots of protein. I feed him, I'm trying to give him everything because I want him of course to experience all the things and the textures and tastes and um you know grow his palate and things like that but i think i'm also fortunate i don't know how much of this is genetics and how much of it is luck but he's like a very good eater he was interested in eating like right away and i kind of slowly got into the like puree and then the baby led weaning and i was kind of mixing it together as we felt comfortable and um but he eats everything you know like he eats what we eat whatever we're having for dinner he eats the baby appropriate version of that and he generally like crushes all of it there's been very little that he doesn't eat so far so um it's yeah. been it's been cool it's been exciting watching him like have these experiences 
yeah, yeah. What's good for mom and dad is, is good for babies. And, um, and the higher fat approach, you know, their brains are going through this critical period of development up until he's age three. I mean, there's just some incredible growth that's happening. And so those nutrients are really going to serve him well. So I end all my podcasts with something called the semen analysis. And, uh, I pull an interesting study and it's totally pertinent to the topic that, you know, we've talked about today. This is from, um, the journal called nutrients. It was published in August of 2019. The title is the role of the anabolic properties of plant versus animal-based protein in supporting muscle mass maintenance. And this was a critical review that was done. So, you know, there's such a push right now for plant-based diets, plant-based diets, plant-based diets. And I was just talking about this on another podcast that I recorded that I have a fear that as we use this as, you know, really honestly, a political divisive way to push people away from eating nutrient dense animal foods like red meat, that it's really just going to push people to eat more processed carbohydrates. Um, and so I want to discuss the differences between plant and animal proteins when it comes to muscle health and, uh, which is directly tied to metabolic health, um, because plant proteins are not equal to animal proteins. And so in this study, you know, plant source proteins, people will argue that they offer environmental and health benefits, but, um, when we study plant-based proteins, they have less of an anabolic effect than animal proteins due to their lower digestibility, lower essential amino acid content, especially leucine and the deficiency in other essential amino acids like sulfur amino acids or lysine. So plant amino acids are directed towards oxidation rather than used for muscle protein synthesis. And in this review, they evaluated the ability of plant versus animal proteins to maintain skeletal muscle mass in a healthy, especially in older people and to look at the different nutritional strategies that could improve anabolic properties of plant-based proteins. Um, Among those strategies would be increasing protein intake um, that would uh, increase the positive acute postprandial muscle protein synthesis response. So essentially you can get it, but you have to eat more um, of the plant protein compared to an animal protein. And um, I just, I want people to understand this, that they're not the same, uh, you know, especially if you're supplementing with like a pea protein versus a whey, um, you know, if you're getting it in your diet, but if you, if you care about age related muscle loss and you want to mitigate this, what we call sarcopenia, that's age related muscle loss, um, outside of any disease state. So this isn't like you got cancer and lost your muscle or something like that. This is just like a normal, healthy person that loses their muscle age related sarcopenia. Um, there is definitely a nutritional approach, um, that is appropriate and, and animal proteins could profoundly, um, impact that. So optimizing protein intake, reduction in muscle mass loss, reduction in metabolic diseases of aging. You guys, you just, you, you have to consider animal protein in the diet. What do you think, Ash? I love it. I'm so grateful that there are people like you who are, you know, obviously science backed and research backed rather than like goofballs like me who are just like, it makes you feel better. I promise. Like, trust me. Um, I'm glad that there are people like you who back it up. And if I can just add one thing to this, because it's irrelevant is, you know, obviously I agree with you wholeheartedly. That's what I'm dedicating my, my books and my life's work to. Um, but I found it very interesting that again, during my pregnancy, I was doing a ton of research. I'm one of those people. I like it. I was listening to some podcasts and I was listening to two nutritionists who were plant-based and they were talking about how to eat during pregnancy pregnancy. And they said, if you can, if it's not a serious, like health or moral or religious reason, it would be really great if you could eat animal protein during your pregnancy, because it is so beneficial to the growing fetus, to the growing baby, to all the things, like all the amino acids, like given the reasons basically. And I was like, my mind was blown because I'm like, these are plant-based advocates telling you that when it really matters, you should be eating animal protein. And it like gave me chills because again, it's like, it kind of shows that like, this is what you actually need. And this is what a growing baby needs. But like you, when you're not pregnant, like just do whatever, you'll probably be okay. But like when it matters, eat animal protein. And so to me, that was, I mean, that was very eye opening. Um, And I mean, it's obviously just kind of reiterating what I already know, but it's something to think about that when like plant-based advocates will tell you you know, maybe you should try eating some animal protein when you're pregnant. That's something to think about. Yeah. 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 Everyone's going to have to decide for themselves and everybody is going to have to live with the results of their own decisions. That is right. 
that's the hard truth. All right, you guys. Well, um, Ashley, tell people how to find you again, how to follow you, how to work with you maybe, because I know you have some coaching programs. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for, for taking the time. It's amazing to chat with you and catch up and talk about muscles. It's my favorite thing. So I appreciate you and I love your podcast. Um, yeah, I mean, you can find me on my website is just my name, ashleyvanhouten.com. Um, I'm on Instagram at the muscle maven. That's my tag there. And I have a podcast called muscle maven radio. I have a, um, a strength training for women program that I do with Rachel Gregory. It's called muscle science for women that we do a couple times a year. That's super cool. And you can find my books. Uh, it takes guts is the organ meets one and carnivore ish is the new one. And you can just find those wherever books are sold. Awesome. Yeah. If you guys are looking for some recipes, how to incorporate more of these nutrient dense animal foods, go check out carnivore ish. If you want to dabble in the organ meat world, it takes guts is Ashley's other book. So Ashley, thank you so much for your time. And, uh, everybody make sure you download this, leave your comments, leave your questions and make sure you share it with somebody because they, they, they might just get a little bit out of it. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Ash. Thank you.